0: Hold
1: tight ladies and gentlemen you're welcome back to your number one podcast in the world music history music importance and how the dots connect this is your best bet to connect the old generation of music to what we have now and anticipate for the future. We're always excited to bring you this podcast, the Sample Axis Podcast. My name is Goyega Nelson, is on the other side. And we have, of course, something special prepared today. What do we have? I don't know where to begin. The last time around, it was J.O. Arapa, Adikunle Gold, and the other side was, I think, Wizzkate, was it Wiz? Okay, it was Uh Asak, Ajaba. Yeah, and S-A-B. And SAV, yes. Um, so so that was the last episode, and this one uh, we're trying to look at something about um, US. Essentially, we want to do a recap of that era. Um, the pioneers of the sound called Post Disco and JV, the era from 1979, pushing forwards, and some of the that led that era. Nelson would do like a proper intro into our conversation today but like you would know i'm always excited that at least you know every time we have a new episode it's exciting to learn about music which i learned recently is the most important or relatable art form i don't know if people agree on that but yes i believe so
0: so yeah um nelson right here the main man the metrics season guy. We're about to get into it. So today we would be talking about um, a great year in music, but even though we're going to be talking about the year 1983, we'd like to, you know, talk about everything that led to that point and like Boyega said, talk about the UK pop scene, the US uh, scene and post disco scene all around the same time. But there's no good way to start this without starting what what we can see by the entire genre that is post-disco. So I'm going to go all the way back to Thursday, July 12, 1979 at um, Comiskey Park in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, now that game was supposed to be a game between uh, Chicago White um, Sox against uh, Detroit Tigers, and uh, the game ended at some point. And after that, an event, um, you know, transpired or called, or, an event happened right in front of everybody and everybody knows that night as a disco demolition night. So prior to the time, talking about like in the 60s and all of that, when disco came into play, a lot of musicians actually, you know, tilted from what they were doing before to go to disco. And the reason why they did that was because disco was popping. It was the sound people listened to in the clubs. It was, it was danceable. It was expressive. And just because of that, a lot of people felt that, you know, that was the right form of music. And like guys said, you know, it was an art form that was just beautiful. It made perfect sense. You know, people could wear big shoes, they could wear tight trousers and then have like, you know, what we used to call, um, is it bootleg? Or what do we used to call that? Boyega, I don't know whether I can remember the name of that trouser that, that people used to wear.
1: I think I remember Boot Bootcourt,
0: boot court. yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to remember. Where your no. bootcourt jeans.
1: You know we had an era, a renaissance of bootcarts, you know, fashion.
0: That happened about, I think it happened in 2005 to 2009-ish.
1: Yes, the ladies and the men too.
0: Yeah, they they, they wore that again for a couple of times. I think immediately after like we got fully into the early 2000s, people kind of wore it again. Starting from the white folks and then the black folks picked it up again and it became really nice. So trying to just paint a picture of what that kind of time looked like. We had wonderful artists or groups like Saturday Night Fever. We had people like Sheik holding down the scene and, you know, village people as well that, that were the faces or face of disco. Village people in the sense that we use them as one, even though they were a group, as a face of disco. They had a representation. And one thing that was kind of synonymous with all of these groups is the fact that they were all very expressive. If you think about all the songs that came out from the disco era, you had the men dressing how they want to dress, more or less like what we would see nowadays with a lot of people and how they, you know, Express themselves with their dressing and everything is all bling and it's beautiful and people are singing high notes. It was a time to a time to be very very expressive, but people uh, got really angry and all of that, and they sort of thought that it was a way to promote cultures that we have got have gone past all of that. But at the time, it was thought that it was it was the homophobia kind of music, and a lot of people hated that, and that you know a lot of people thought it was it was it was a racist kind of music or or they, th- they thought it was an expression of, you know, homopho- um, homophobia and racism. And this is me talking about the, the destruction of the disco. Now, all of this I'm saying right now is because we're about to get into something, a genre that was birthed from all the things that happened in this time. So, disco was being because of the nightclubs and the dance music and a lot of African-American, Latin American and people at the time that were referred to as the gays, you know, at the time we had just, you know, probably the gays and lesbians, not like we have now where it's more refined and well put together. The gay culture then, they were the ones that were listening to it and they made it become mainstream, so it became a problem. And a lot of people at the time that had a lot of homophobia and racism in them, came around and they broke all sorts of, all sorts of vinyl records to represent the end of disco. And because of this, I can say, I don't want to use the word paradigm shift, but I feel like that's very important as well. There was some sort of shift that happened and everybody kind of tilted away from playing disco music because nobody wanted to be canceled, even though the word canceled was not used at the time, but nobody wanted to be in the black book of people or black book of, or, or, of listeners so they avoided the genre altogether and at the time as well you can also remember that we had a couple of genres around you know there was pop, uh, there was um, psychedelic rock, uh, there was there was hard metal, all of this were already working at the time and of course uh, the big R&B that, that a lot of people loved and blues and all sorts of genres so that one was the only one that was actually targeted. The good thing about it is that regardless of all the things that happened on that night on that night on that fateful day there were no deaths recorded maybe about zero to, to 30 people were injured but no deaths no deaths were recorded and all of that brought us into a new mix which is post-disco
1: 1979 timestamp, stamp or yeah is it forward 79 right yeah
0: 1979 then moving forward
1: okay so who were the leading names or the turning point figures so to speak yeah. who were the characters? what what I I believe Motown records was out and they, they were there they yeah.
0: yeah I'll talk about I'll talk about them
1: now who are the pioneers who led the sound
0: yeah so um for the pioneers that let it sound, I think we have to also start with the fact that, you know, as soon as the whole madness started, the old madness ended and they had to switch and it, it took a while before it picked on the life of its own. So, of course, you understand that it will not just happen immediately, this happened in July. Radio had to reset and then, you know, studios and uh, record labels had to, had to rewrite their, their goals and their approach for the year. And a lot of people had already had records. That were close to disco, but not far. Close to disco, and far from it at the same time. I'll explain. It sounded like disco music, but it was a lot of other kind of genres embedded into it. So it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like Le Freak, or it wasn't like Everybody Dance, or it wasn't like Saturday Night Fever. I just kind of felt like there was more R and B, there was more electronic, there was more soul in all of those music and the disco was probably just the underlying part of the beat and underlying part of the music and so all of these songs that came out after July 79 and were accepted by the public were sort of looked at as the pioneers of post-disco and even though I feel like I have my idea of people that I feel like should be the head or the guys that actually made it a genre People like Michael Jackson that released an album in 1979, like "Off the Wall." "Off the Wall," even though "Off the Wall" had uh, some songs that a lot of people would say sounds like, uh, you know, sounds like disco. But when you realize that "Off the Wall" was released in August 10th, 1979, which was probably less than a month, or probably less than 15 days after the disco. Uh, demolition. a lot of people just kind of feel like, oh yeah, that's the first thing we had after the whole madness. I think it was it was it was more of a psychological thing. so no no, nobody would talk about these people are the pioneers, but they would believe that because of these guys release songs after all of this madness and the songs didn't sound as as disco like as you would expect it to be, they were given that push as the pioneers of the music example of these guys. You know, for example, nineteen eighty one, we had people like um Fantastic Voyage that was released by uh I can't remember, oh my god. can you remind me Fantastic Voyage? I can't remember, remember. I can't. Uh Fantastic. Not,
1: not <sighs> planned, right? No. Nah. The uh, uh, Oh my god. That's not a problem. We remember that now
0: lakeside
1: oh yeah
0: yes lakeside lakeside yeah so people like lakeside that had fantastic voyage on it kind of sound it kind of felt like they were the pioneers of the music but when you go deeper into the years you see a lot of people that actually did a whole lot of work of making the sound unique and putting more life into it for example people like unlimited touch d train one name comes to mind kashif all of these guys, they had like they were like the 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 um traditional post-disco sound. They were the first original, like you know, yeah. Fresh in terms of the, the genre itself, like they are, the, they are the perfect representation of the genre. You understand what I'm saying? Because most of their song had everything in it, sync funk, electro funk, you know, dog music. Uh, P-Funk, Soul, r they mixed it all together. Techno music, it was all in the same, they all mixed all of that inside inside one particular um, particular genre and made the songs, you know, songs like uh, Just Love Yourself by Kashif, uh all Limited Touch had a couple of songs as well, uh, D-Train had a couple of songs and all of that just made it beautiful. And even though the musical elements were things that a lot of people thought that, you know, made it different. There are a couple of groups that we can actually talk about that took it from one level to another. And we thank you very much for also talking about some of the record labels because like I was saying earlier, some yes. record labels took their time to reinvent. And some of them are De Griffey, uh, you know, and Leon Silvers third with Solar Records. I'm sure you know Solar Records because I talk about them all the time. Yes. Um, Lakeside, were part of Solar, Lake, Lakeside were part of Solar Records. At some point as well. Now, Capital Records. Capital Records had BB and Q Band. I don't know whether you know the song. Your wish is my command. You're my genie. Now that song, I think I heard probably, it. yeah, you were probably heard it before. Uh, I used to use it to start the show uh, when I did a blast on the past. But then BB and oh, Q
1: you Band. Wish had... is my... yeah, bat singer. Your wish is yeah, Batsinger. Your wish. It's my, it's my,
0: come oh oh my genie, yeah. You know the
1: song.
0: I'm about to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wish I could do better. And then we also had like people like change. I know you know change as well, because I'm sure was talking about change a lot right here. Yeah, yeah. So change, change. At some point, had Luther Vandross. At some point, had Jocelyn Brown. Had a lot of names. Village people, like I said. Now, this is where it gets more interesting. You remember when I was talking about the first part of this podcast, probably the introduction part of this podcast, I said there was a group that was viewed as the face of disco. The beautiful thing is that village people, even though they were not as big, after they left, after we left the disco era, they are still looked at as the first guys that redid their music and were accepted immediately now let me put this in context for you most of the groups apart from the top groups like the cooler the Gangs, the um cameos the um cashmere mm-hmm. no the no, the, which is the don't do disco as much i'm talking about guys that that took their time to do albums or songs in the genre so all of these guys and these are the top guys i'm calling right here so all of these guys, they did Kool and the Gang. I don't know why I was forgetting Kool and the Gang. All of these guys did disco, right? And they had hits, they had big songs. But the moment the disco demolition thing happened, they came back and they dropped albums that were even way better than the disco albums they dropped. Now, Chic, for example, Chic did not remain the same because Chic was known as the disco band. So even though they tried several things, they didn't really get as much village people. So one of them now, village people, even though they didn't have a lot, or even though they didn't have as much credit, or as much cred, or as much, you know, hype as they did when they were doing disco, they were they are still looked at as the first guys that pushed the uh, pushed the uh, envelope and made post great thing. And then we also have people like. Richie family and I basically think everybody that was on our Solar Records had a great time doing post school because they were enjoying themselves at the time and Cool and the Gang, you cannot look away from them, those guys probably did it all and because of they adopted you know the live pop part of a School. they were already a pop band and in 79, James JT Taylor already joined them, they already switched up their, their way of music, even before Disco demolition happened, they had already started switching off from Disco, they felt like they had to evolve to something else, and they got it on. And all of these guys are like big guys, and then, when you think about Post Disco, and you think about one of the maniacs in Post Disco, you call the name Rick James. Super Freak, when you think about the song Super Freak, that's one of those songs. Now, where, guy, you might not know what Superfic is, but when I make this sound, you probably know what it is. Dun, 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 dun. Do you remember where that's from? Um, it's hard to remember because um, There's, because it was redone in 19, in the nineties. It was sampled again in the nineties. Dun dun, 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 dun. Can't touch this. Okay, yeah, yeah. And MC Hammer, but it's also dun, 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 dun. Down down, then it goes super freak, super freak, super freaky. From, yeah. From, so she's a very dirty girl. It's, it's such a great song. Rick James had it on lockdown. And of course, you think about Tina Marie, but I don't want to talk too much right now. So I'm going to allow you uh, guys to probably tell us a little some of the artists that had it going on, had it going good at the time. And then I'll come back in again and talk about all the people that had it good in nineteen eighty three
1: so um there is this group from 1967 that was when they first met um in fact i didn't know so much about them until this episode hall and oats funny name but they were they did rock and then they slid into other genres particularly this one disco and um jivey music hall and oats from philadelphia in america just a little bit about them they are considered Uh, one of the most successful duos of all time one account says in rock history another account says of all time ahead of the carpenters the everly brothers and simon and Catherine Kerr. now let's look at the formation and the sound they made Uh, i can see about 20 18 to 20 albums or more that they are they are known for i'll try and get to that later but and i would also want you to speak to the importance of a group like this um after i have done a breakdown in 1967 these guys happened to be around portstown pennsylvania um there is dario franklin hall and john william Oates. it happened that they were already leading their um each of them was heading their own musical group. Um, Hall was with the Ten Tones and Oates was with the Masters. They were doing music separately and something brought them together because um, one of the one of the reasons was that they were attending Temple University together in Pennsylvania, uh, I think Philadelphia. And then they started moving together, stayed together in some apartments and then they came together as a group. That's actually funny because... Um, how could they just work together when they already could build solo careers with their bands already, but Destiny brought them together and they have been there. They've been performing since 1967, 68, up till recently, uh, up till about a few years ago, they, they, they were still performing, 2017 leading into 2019 and all that. Um, They signed to Atlantic Records around that time before 1972 and then they continued to make. Uh, music uh some of the genres that that are that they are known for there's folk there's rock there's soul and indeed there's a wide range they have um rock and roll soul music rhythm and blues but like we said some disco dance rock was also embedded in their music so i'd like to know how interactive was the was the genre the disco the post disco genre because we saw how it led into hip-hop at some point as well, with the Run DMC, Public Enemy, and some of those groups. How did, how well did post-disco interact with other genres, specifically in the case of Holland Oates, um, who were rock musicians and then merged into post-disco? Do you have any accounts as to interactions with, or, and blending into other genres? And I'd like you to leak. I'd like you to also lead the conversation about prints, so we can come back to that, among other things that you want to add.
0: Oh, okay, all right. So um, one of the things that actually uh, happened, let me first start off with your very first question about how interactive um, it was, talking about the genre. Um, truth be told, it wasn't so interactive. It kind of, it was close-knitted. It was a close-knitted genre. And I think that is why the genre did not last as long as the other genres. It was because only a few could do it, and a few could do it well. Now, the others that tried, and the others that wanted to put in so much effort, they just didn't get it done. For example, I wouldn't call Hall & Oates big ups to them. Yeah, they did a couple of post-disco songs, but I wouldn't call them post-disco singers. They were musicians in their own right and they had wonderful stuff. Yeah, probably the most decorated group of the 80s. The only group that comes after is at um it's, um cool and the gang and after that earth Wind, and fire. So I wouldn't really put them in that box, but what I would say that it wasn't interactive enough. And I feel like if they had mergers, maybe or some sort of music like the way we have a rap and RB, if we had post disco and some rappers coming into play, I mean it was so wild that this is crazy, but it's the truth. Post disco rappers at the time, ta- post disco singers at the time would rather break down rap in their music than do it with the help of a rapper although yes it wasn't a thing at the time but you know if you listen to songs like Wright's who do you love now, although that song was redone again by LL Koo-Jay on the song lounging which was really good and became a hit Bernard Wright decided to do some sort of not rap but you know some sort of spoken word there which could have been done by somebody else or you know maybe he merged with, with, with another artist it would have been more exciting but he didn't do that and the music came out great but i think that that's one of the things that actually held it down now and also i just feel like i have to talk about the golden age of um of post-disco because like i said it was a very short time started in 1979 probably lasted to like 1986- 1987 and this was because immediately after post-disco we had new jack swing which i've spoken about a lot We'll probably have one simple. I don't know whether we've had we we had an episode where we talk about new jack swing.
1: Um I wouldn't be able to remember now, but I think we must have one or two. We have done so much. Um so whether it's okay, New Jack Swing is definitely not this guy from nineteen ninety three. Um what's his name? Um Tevin Campbell. That's not New Jack Swing. You
0: no, that's not, that would be as beautiful as beautiful as it could be.
1: Yes, let me take time and just do a search and see what we did in that line. New Jack Swing is um okay. What about this man that Foxy Brown sample
0: Oh yeah, that's a great guy. That's a great guy. Um, Eugene Wild. That's Eugene Wilde. that's that's not New Jack Swing, but it's on beautiful R and B. Yeah. Oh, I'm going exactly. to listen to that song just because.
1: Hardaway? Thank
0: you for reminding me.
1: Anything on Hardaway? People would be shocked. No, no,
0: how do I was EDM? So,
1: yeah yeah, so I think I should just stop trying. People would be,
0: <laughs> people it's all good.
1: It's
0: cool all good. It, I, I, I it.
1: used to learn Grady Harrell, yeah, that's a good
0: one. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's Belinda, hey Belinda, yeah. We have
1: a good discography, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We, that's that's a very good one, but let me continue quickly and talk about. Uh, the pioneers, and I feel like this is a good place to bring um, Prince into play. But before I talk about Prince, so that Gregor will give us enough time to talk about or be right here, to talk about uh, Prince, and the beat goes on. The Whispers that was released in 1979. To me, to me, a lot of people are going to come for me for this. Okay, I shouldn't say that, but I feel like you know it's going to be like one of those things where people would want to say, "Oh yeah, Nelson, what you have said is very wrong." But I think, and the beat goes on, is the first song that should be officially put down as the first post-disco song. Released in 1979, went number one in the US dance chart, number one in the US R&B chart, number 19 in the pop chart, number two in the UK, Solar Records. Like I said before, Leon the third, Dick Griffey, those guys were the guys that actually started what we know now as post-disco. They refined it, they made it great, and, and the beat goes on, that was released in 1979. Is probably that starting song. Celebration in 1980. That's a no-brainer. Probably one of the biggest post song of all time. And then we had Let's Groove, that was released by Earthwind and Fire in 1981. The 1981 as well. Even though it is not talked about a lot, I like to always put in um, Lakeside's Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, I think it's an amazing song. I think it's beautiful. Everybody by Madonna in 1982. Forget Me Not. Now. Forget Me Not, it's a jam forever. Elektra Records, Patrick's Russian, amazing stuff. And then in deep, last night the DJ saved my life. That's a beautiful song as well. And then one of the songs I love so much from the year 1983, Holiday. And of course we know what happened in 1983. Michael Jackson was was still enjoying the success of three that was released in 1982. So. We can as well put most of those songs in the post-disco vibe. I think Billie Jean was post-disco, um, PYT was post-disco, human nature probably not post-disco, but most of the songs of Thriller were done in the post-disco format uh, because of it was the vibe at the time. And now I'll quickly go back to Prince. I will come back to talk about some of the songs that just did it for me as, uh, you know, post-disco songs that were beautiful. Well, we'll talk about Prince now. Prince, I want to be a lover. I want to be a lover. I don't know how to sing, I know it's terrible, but I'm going to try. Prince was the prince of the 80s. Prince Rogers Nelson, yeah, his, his last name is Nelson. Uh, prince Rogers Nelson that passed away in 2016. American singer, wonderful artist that was good in every single thing. I think that guy had a knack for everything funk, R&B new wave, soul, synth pop, pop. Jazz and blues, hip hop at some point, but you see, when post disco came out, he released the song "I Wanna Be Your Lover" that was so huge, and it kind of set a tone. So that's why I say I always say this: that even though "And the Beat Goes On" to me is the first song that should be referred to as post disco, the greats and the researchers and the and the music. Um, what's the word? Is a music connoisseur? Is that what I going to say, Where you go? The guys yeah. that put you know all this culture together I would say, culture. "I want to be your lover." Was the first one, and I think that's why Prince is so important to the culture.
1: Yes, I'll try to look at his discography, which is a lot. First of all, he is considered one of the greatest musicians of all time, and and I think that's a, I mean, it goes without saying because the debate between him and Michael Jackson is actually something to take note of so it's it's a no-brainer when records say that he's regarded as one of the greatest musicians of all time of his generation not not of all time i beg your pardon um he's ranked number 27 on the list of 100 greatest artists and and all those legacy mentions would go on and on now I wanted to know what's the mystery behind an artist like Prince. His performances had a certain aura. His image, sometimes scary, sometimes has like a mystical feeling, a mystical posture to it. He's not the ordinary person, so to speak. So there's something about him. And one more thing that I noticed later is that he, he, he had this issue with his label. Or maybe with, with the industry in general, he was outspoken about artists being able to uh, appreciate their independence and work towards that, such that some of his albums were released independently. And he tried to, you know, manage his situation such that uh, label issues or not, he would be um, independent and create a legacy still. So I think I, I appreciate the fact that um upon whatever happened he was able he his name is still here in a way that he is recognized for his elite artistry as a musician as a performer and all the albums that he has done and his legacy as an artist activist if there's something like that let me take a look at um his discography some of the albums that um And then again, he was an artist of different eras. Here I'm looking at 1978 all the way down to 2015. And even after his death, posthumous albums were released. So from 1978, a different era. In the 90s, 1992 to 99, many albums, we're talking up to 10 albums, um, he was still out there. And then you could also see the influence he had on other artists and also the sound of hip-hop i'll talk about that later um but album titled for you 1978 1980 dirty mind 81 controversy i'll jump to 1990 graffiti bridge diamonds and pearls in 1991 love symbol album 1992 the black album 1994, which again would speak to Jay-Z. I really can't say if Jay-Z peaked from that, but Hove also has an album called the Black Album. Um, the Gold Experience, 95, and then it goes on and on. By 2004, we have Musicology, Chocolate Invasion, The Slaughterhouse, Planet Earth in 2007, and it goes on and on. So I think generally we just have to appreciate the person and the mystery behind the artist by the name Prince, uh, George Nelson. Now, let's talk about, I don't know if you have mentioned it, but his genres, He's he has been inducted posthumously, or I think even while he was alive, into many halls of fame, rock and roll in particular, and then rhythm and blues. But what would be, his most important genre, uh, Prince Roger's Nelson? I'm talking about the artist. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I think his most important genre is probably, when you think about Prince, a lot of things comes to mind, right? Like I said, he was that guy, he was doing every single thing. So he was, she was the popping guy. And let me first address the mystery before I come around and tell you about the genre I think he probably should be you know, known for. Prince had, he had this vibrant energy that is inexplicable. Apart from the fact that he's a great musician, great musician in the sense that his voice is amazing, he could dance, he could hold down a crowd, when I mean a crowd I'm talking about thousands of people, he could sing his heart off and he was just completely talented. A lot of people look at him and say, "Oh my, I'm such a multi-multi instrumentalist could sing it for Soto. And at the time, for Soto was amazing. And also, he had this androgynous persona. That's what I think Vega was trying to explain before. Sometimes he looked very normal. Sometimes he looked like he was on the edge. Sometimes he looked like he was too flamboyant but that was him That that's why people loved him he connected to the guys to the girls and every other person i feel like he was like i think i think prince and yeah i know when i say this it might sound like i'm trying to be crazy or something but i think prince is an embodiment of what the 80s was like well I do you understand what i'm saying i'm talking mm-hmm. about the mixed cultures because it was during the 80s we had people like you know, Boy George of of Culture Club, Kama 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 and and then we had Camille. The guys from Camille, like Larry Blackmon. they had a persona. It was in the same 80s we had people like Luther Van Ross. It was the same 80s we had people like Verden White. It was the same 80s we had people like Michael Jackson. And all of these guys, they were just, it just felt like, I don't know, it's crazy but it felt like, Prince just represented every single one of them. And it's crazy to think about it that Prince only came into music in 1975. So Michael Jackson had already been around at least nine years before or eight years before. So Michael Jackson and Prince kind of had this, um, you know, I I wouldn't say it's a a match, but like a healthy competition for who influenced people the most. I don't know if you get what I'm talking about. Like who influenced people the most, like is it Michael or Prince? But Prince, Mm -hmm had an amazing vocal, it was different, but I can't feel like even to today, you, you can still, it's, still it's, some, it's a conversation that can be had. A lot of artists will tell you the length, like the length, their ways from Prince, white artists, black artists. And a lot of people will tell you they are better musicians or they were better musicians those years because of Michael Jackson. So, and this is one of the good things about you know Prince as well, is the fact that he didn't he didn't put himself in a box. Prince was always working on one thing or the other. So, putting him in a, putting him in one genre might be seen as insulting.
1: Oh, not fair. did oh, not fair.
0: Or oh, not fair. Yeah, or oh, not fair because think about pop-o-rain. Now, when you hear popuray, rain purrain, you think about like you think about a kind of sound. Like it's electro, it's R&B, it's it's synth pop, it's pop all put together in one, and then there's a lot of talking underneath. It was unconventional. I mean, you can call it new wave, but people loved him. And then the Prince album in 1979 was huge. Dirty Mind in 1980, Controversy in 1981. And like you already said to yourself, a lot of artists after the time would still say, Prince was one that actually gave me the edge to say, I could do this. You understand how I could be this, and it was also referred to as the love symbol. I remember there was one, you know, comedy comedy um, short that I watched at some point, and one guy said Prince was so cool, guys had a crush on him, and they were not like that, or they were not gay. Does that make any sense, though? That's how cool he was to people. Like I said guys liked him so much they had a crush on him, and they were not gay.
1: There's a fa- there's a famous video of him and Beyonce performing. Right. Yeah. You haven't seen that.
0: I have seen it. He was playing the guitar most of the time.
1: Oh yeah. I yes, yes, he was. Yeah. wasn't
0: playing. So, it was, those, thing, so it was playing the guitar most of the
1: time. Some of those moments are also very precious because some of the most of the greats. Uh, if you get a chance to work with some of the greats, some of them are still alive, but you never really appreciate them on, until they leave. What's this woman's name? Tina Turner. She passed away a few months ago and it was, it was uh, you know, I liked how they celebrated her because of her legacy and the work she did. But sometimes you just feel like, so people really have to go and when they go, it's done. So when they're alive, collaborations, give them their flowers and all that. Remember Aretha Franklin two, three years ago. So we are seeing a generation really, really leaving. Some of them have left already. It's only a few of them left and so I think it's impressive, it's good to give them the flowers while they are here. Now, I think that's a good place to segue or to drift out of post-disco and jivey and see the other side in the UK briefly. Uh, before we talk about other adjoining topics and then we wrap this up, what's up in the UK par music at the time and you know, did we have cross-country interactions as much as we do today?
0: Oh, well, I, like I, I think, I think what I've said is times without normal. If we're looking for anybody that that got a good good push in in, or how do I put this? Let me put this way. Let me put it this way: the people that benefited the most from the eighties has to be the UK scene. Apart from the fact that there was stuff like um, um, stuff like um, MTV happening at the time, where MTV started the 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 TV industry and it was booming, you think about a lot of groups that had good times. Five Star. I mean, I don't know whether you know this, but Billy Ocean is actually from the UK. So many of those artists that had a good time in America. Let me quickly go through maybe a couple of the artists that were leading the line in 1983. Now, I'm going to use 1983 uh, actually in question. Buiga, do you know the number one song at the end of the year in the B word in US in 1983?
1: Was that the same Christmas song? No, I No. It. I'm it was something. Every Breath, Every Breath, you
0: take, guess by who? The police, the police.
1: Right? yeah.
0: yeah. The police is a UK band and they were top tier. They were literally number one on the Billboard charts. That so you could, exactly, that was special because it hadn't happened, I mean, they, they were close, but that year kind of like, opened it up to them that like, oh yeah, we could actually do all the way and get here. Now I'm going to make it more interesting. To tell you why I used to always say, I feel like most of the time, uh, these guys kind of took like, the, 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 the UK scene took took hold of that time. Number 10 song in the year in 1983 is Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams by who? You You go all the way to, and you think about what happened also. David Bowie, biggest year was with post disco, let's dance. And also you go crazy again, a lot of groups from that time took their power and like they basically had a good time because of the fact that there was a good time for them to come into the music scene. And guess what? It just wasn't in the UK, all the way in Australia, men at work got into the Billboard charts also with Down Under in 1983. And this happened over the years from 1903 to probably 1990s. And that was like the opening. And one artist that, oh my God, I'm so happy. I did not forget him because I would have been really playing Rick Astley with never gonna give you up, never gonna want you down. That's Rick Astley. Yeah, yeah, Rick Astley. Yeah, that's him at the time as well. And a lot of artists that I could have actually called as well, maybe let me call a couple of names that I can remember. Uh, Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Around was a big one too in the UK and in the US in 1985, Never Gonna Give You Up in 1987, Uh, and Venice in 1986, which is probably like the last year that we would give to like post-disco, although 1987 the early parts was good enough, but five star and a lot of artists, I can't remember most of them right now, total total contrasts. Uh, yeah, Total Contrast. Um, the hard Richard Pong and uh forgot the name of the other guy. Uh, total Contrast, uh, give me a second. I can't, I'm trying to remember the name of that group. Total Group. We've we spoken about Total the
1: group before. I don't think so, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, Total Contrast. Why do you distress me? Yeah, I didn't hear the talk now, sorry. Let me get back to it. Hmm. Yeah, so Total Contrast also um, in the 80s as well. They got a couple of albums in Hit and Run is a big chap from 1985, and they also released something in 1987. Uh, the group had two names actually Robin Achampong and Delor- Delroy Murray. So those two guys from the UK as well. So there are many names that you can call from the UK. I mean, it's like some of times, sometimes you need to remind a lot of people that Elton John is a Brit as well. You think about it, and also there are so many names. There are so many names that I know that I wouldn't be able to call all of them for sure, because how many would I be able to remember? But the ones that can come to my mind right now, that has come to my mind right now, you think about them. But I can tell you for sure that if you do a quick sweep of all the top guys in the 1980s that benefited from, not just having their own genre, but because of post-disco was happening in 79 to 85, a lot of people had the opportunity to come in to the scene.
1: Let's bring this home a little bit, and this almost, this already feels like an interview, but pardon me, we're trying to wrap this up soonest. As- MTV base coming on the scene, how does that connect to this story, one, And secondly, let's bring it down to Nigeria, what was happening in Nigeria and how did that era in America and around the world, post-disco driving music, how did that connect to us as Nigerians? Were we consuming enough from them or were we in the sound? Yeah, so
0: uh, I think um, starting off with how the post-disco do when it got in here, I kind of think that it's always good to point out the fact that um, MTV has had a huge influence, and I think I already said that in the music, because the videos that were brought in made post-disco bigger than it was. I think the fact that post-disco even had a good run was because of the music videos. For example, Billie Jean, that was released in 1983, you know, alongside uh, the videos in, on, on MTV. And also, I think I've said this, quite a number of times that anybody that listens to the podcast already knows that, I've said this numerous times that, most of the videos that were played on MTV in the early days were from the UK. And this was the reason why, because the UK used to, the UK artists it was part of their deals to make videos for their songs. But it wasn't a deal for US artists, because they wanted US artists were good with selling just the vinyl records. But in UK, one of the ways to put yourself out there is to make a music video right so it was the culture of the UK people and that's how the connects connected and that's how the music in the UK merged perfectly well with the music in the US now I'm bringing it out home to Nigeria well we had just the I think just the best sounds got here but for the musicians that were here they were listening to every single thing and that's why a lot of people would say somebody that like Alex Alexo sounds a whole lot like like bernard wright or sounds a whole lot like bobby brown or sounds a whole lot like you know or even bobby brown might might be seen as unfair because alexo was probably popping even before bobby brown became a thing i said it was about that life yeah, yeah it was about that life too as well so when you think about people like crystal courtier too so i think the musicians right here what they did was the musicians right here served as a medium so instead of the song of course the people that were going to the clubs at the time knew the earth wind and fire New Holland knew all the artists knew Elton John. But the, the regular folks that would stay at home and not party and listen to a lot of music, were fed that music in a different light. So, someone like obi would have listened to Donna Summer, Gladys Knight, all of these ladies, uh, Gwen Guthrie, God bless her soul, um, Jocelyn Brown, and then she would come up and make another song. Now this would be her own song, Nigerian song, but. Indirectly, you are listening to all this, all these other artists as well. No, no doubt the creativity of Obi Onyoha and the beautiful sounds that she produced. But you get what I'm saying. That was the sound. So it was like it connects. When you hear songs like "We Just Want to Enjoy Your Life," you think about other songs from the time as well. You think about songs from the '80s. You think about her sounding like Gwen Guthrie, you know, of the Power, or somebody like Tina Dewey, God bless us all as well. Black on black. Yeah. You just knew that it was coming from sounds like Cedar Garrett, you know, that was sounding at the time. Singing songs like, welcome to the groove of the... Wait, did I know how to sing? Oh. Stop trying, stop trying. Oh, did I know how to sing? I think we, I should, we should just
1: try to reign this home now. Um, In the grand scheme of things post-disco jive was a very important era in music as it wasn't just a form of entertainment and a pure art form, a pure energetic and vibrant art form. It also inspired the sounds that came after it. And of course, it it remains history of the people, the artists who did their best um, to, to, to push out that genre. And I'm sure was tons and tons of music. A lot of the artists that we, you know, that did the work at the time, we may not mention them now. But the ecosystem is like music is is a necessity. The job has to be done. So it's not even about the artists. Sometimes it's about the art form, and everybody playing their part. Any anything else we're missing out on before we go?
0: Oh, I think if our synopsis is good, I feel like maybe we can stop here. And probably preserve some music for next time, or preserve some talk for next time. Because of course, there's going. I feel like this talk is not done, and there's going to be more that yeah. will surround There's so many artists to talk about. I mean, so many. Now, now, now that you have said, now that I've said something about Five Star, I just kind of feel like we have to talk about them. the the, mm. the the quintet of cousins. They were cousins, and they made beautiful music. All yeah. falls. I'm sure anybody that was. That was popping in terms of listening to a lot of music at the time. Some of our fathers, right now, when they hear all falls down, my father still busts a move when he hears all falls down. Like my father would try to do the dance steps from the song. So it was a beautiful time for them. So we'll talk yeah. about some. You know, there were some there were some underground artists that and that's why that's the kind of power that Lakeside has. Lakeside were big in the 70s, not so big in the 80s, but they were so good that they released one song and people would consume. Consumed for two reasons. They knew these guys were good. And because they were already the guys to them. I don't know if that makes any sense. Hmm. Yeah, so, So, right. many, so many groups that I feel like, even the world at large, we kind of don't talk about them, like total contrast, or even even the ones that we think are up there, like high five. Everybody just ignores high five. But yeah. high five, it's such a major role in changing the idea of music yeah at the time where high five was making songs people like tony thompson was not allowed or were not allowed to lead to lead a group mm. that's why people like ralph chesba was not allowed to lead a group at the time There had to be you know that's why i say music is so much in there there's so many things in depth if you wanted to lead a music group at the time you need to have charisma even like till today you need to have charisma you need to be yeah, bold. You need to be sellable. About you know, you need to
1: be, what you want and all that.
0: You need to, yeah, it can't just be. You have to have the personality. But for Tony Thompson, apart from being a very fine boy at the time, he, he wasn't he wasn't that guy. You know, he wasn't
1: the. You get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, on yeah. And he did this definitely will.
1: Yeah, this this has been an expository one. It feels academic because it's not a regular episode. We just you had take a, a step away from the regular and just examine that genre, post-disco and jivey, and some of the players in that space. Of course, this is not the first time we will do like a special focus on a genre. We will do more, but in the past, we have, uh, we have attempted to express some genres like high life. We have done something on hip-hop um, as mixtapes and in other ways, we have done something on, you know, Fuji, the sound. Many, more than once, we have done something on Fuji. So it continues. In fact, rock music with, um I think, the name of a band, Aerosmith. So it goes on and on. Whenever there is need to look at some of these genres, it's part of our work to understand and implement um, the music space as per genre um different genres that are available nelson that's that's our app no no production credits for today right yeah definitely no
0: production credits go and listen to post disco. go on youtube yeah. go on Spotify and type post disco.
1: and enjoy yourself so that's about it boyga day are signing out
0: nelson Winnie, the main man the metrics the season guy sounding out we out are- the sample access. administered by boyga nelson yeah, incredible. You're listening to the Sample Axis podcast.